The price is the greatest tool of misdirection. They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran and I'll be your host for this week's episode. And from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide, we want to thank you for your continued support. You know, as you can imagine, the, this community keeps growing more and more every single week. And there's a lot to talk about during these historic times. And Andrew McGuire is in the house with an industry expert by popular demand, the one and only Andy Sheckman. So we have two Andys and they'll be talking gold this is going to be an amazing episode that you don't want to miss right here. And Life in the Vault, you know, gives you access to information and updates that you just can't get anywhere else. And this episode is going to be no exception. So just before we go to Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Andy Sheckman, please help spread the word about this channel by liking, by sharing, by subscribing, and hit that bell if you'd like to be notified as each episode goes live. So let me introduce our special guest in case you haven't heard of Andy Sheckman. He's the president of and owner of Miles Franklin. And prior to starting Miles Franklin back in 1989, Andrew became a licensed financial planner specializing in Swiss franc investments and alternative investments. And his company is a company that has eclipsed $5 billion in sales. And he's responsible for overseeing the firm's operations and business functions. And he's become one of the world's leading experts in the precious metal space. And with that, Let's head over to the UK and Talking Gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire and our special guest, Andy Sheckman. Over to you, Andy. Well, this is truly actually a huge, huge pleasure for me to introduce another Andy. <laughs> and it's, it's Andy Sheckman, uh, somebody who I hold in extremely high esteem. Uh, I've met Andy. I mean, actually, I've only physically met him once, which was in uh, London, 2011, at the at the Gatta um, uh, Gold Rush conference. And um, but it really is a pleasure to see you again, uh, a man of of great integrity and honor. Wow! Thank you so much, Andrew. It's wonderful to be here. And. Uh... Uh, I'd be lying if I said uh, I haven't followed everything you've been doing for a very long time. So uh, it's great to be here. It's great to see you. And I'm looking forward to this very much. Yeah, and timely, timely. And I think let's perhaps we start, um, Andy, with, and as I say, we were talking earlier, I think this is the unique, the unique, um, usually when I speak to um, um, people at your side of the pond and traders and wholesalers, et cetera, et cetera, really have a very US-centric view. You have a footprint everywhere. And I think this is really good timing. And I think the elephant in the room, and I know you've seen it, I know you know it, is the massive disconnect between the paper markets, the physical markets that we jointly interact with. Now, you, you're exposed to the wholesale markets as well as the very act, you're very active in the retail markets, which is which is something that is really useful. What are you seeing from your perspective, my friend? Well, I've been talking about a kind of a, a top-down supply chain issue where, you know, we look at all of the, the information that's talking about the LME being bled dry to its lowest level of inventory in silver since they started keeping records, I think, in 2016. 
We look at the massive drawdown in silver off of the COMEX to where we're at about 38 million ounces in registered category. This is the, the, the registered category are the bars that are available for immediate delivery. That's the amount of silver that the Bank of India imported in the month of August. So you have the price setting mechanism of the world with about as much silver in it for delivery as the Bank of India imported in one month. That's, that's not a good thing. We see 100 million ounces drawn down from SLV and other ETFs over the last several months. We see from the top down the biggest money in the world, the people that are closest to the information quietly and using the suppressed price, Andrew, to run cover for uh, their massive acquisition and, and removal of counterparty risk off of the world's exchanges. Now, this in, off the, right, right off the get-go is really, really unusual. And I think this is what gives me, and has for quite some time, um, great optimism that we're on the right path. Now, if we follow that progression of events, we look to the, the refineries around the world. And, and I, I, I jotted down some notes before I met with you, um, just so you understand. So we've talked about the massive withdrawal of metals off of the exchanges. Now let's look at the wholesale market. Umicore, one of the largest precious metals recycling business, is over capacity and won't take on new accounts. Asahi, who bought Johnson Matthew, they won't take any new customers because they can't already fill uh, fulfill current demands. Metalore, um, they can't accept any new accounts. The Geiger Mint in Germany, no more capacity. Uh, the, the mints in Turkey are interesting, both IGR and Nadir. There are government issues where metal is, is really um, tough to get it out of the country th these days, where we just can't see much of any inflow into the United States out of Turkey. Pamp Swiss told us that they're not giving any new allocations probably till January. Um, and much like Valcambi, both Swiss mints, the reasons they said that is they're concerned about energy, about not being able to keep the lights on because of what's going on in, in the Ukraine and Russia, obviously. Um, and so when you talk about the refineries that provide bars to the industry, it's getting um, it's getting on obtainium. Now we talk about the sovereign mints. You look at their six major mints in the world. There's one in your backyard there in the United Kingdom. There's South Africa, there's Australia, there's Austria, there's the US and there's Canada. All of which have been over the last several weeks and months really the model of inefficiency. No one quite as bad as the United States mint. But in all the years I have done this, Andrew, and what's interesting about this is in the context of a falling price, one would, one would associate falling price with an increase in supply because demand and supply move inverse of each other. And if the price is falling, one would assume there's no demand, which would mean a plethora of supply. In the 33 years I've done this, Andrew, I have never seen anything quite like this with the exception of 2008 when everything within a week just was gone. And that's a discussion we can delve into whenever you'd like. But what I will simply say to you is that right now, um, I think the whole world is, has awoken to inflation, to anxiety, to war, to currency debasement, to, to uh, uh, political and geopolitical, to divisiveness, all of these things that are spinning and spinning and spinning in every different direction. And all of a sudden, people are waking up.
So the, the metal that used to flow to the U.S. from the U.K. and Australia and Austria and South Africa, it's not anymore. And it, within a matter of the last few weeks, getting product has become really, really, really frighteningly difficult. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I could sum it up in one sentence, Andrew, and that is that the price is in nowhere, nowhere even the same ballpark. Uh, a, a reflection of demand, which is many, 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 many times greater than what the price would tell us. I mean, this is this is fascinating stuff. People have to listen to this. And, and you're, you're talking about you, you've just talked about a wholesale market condition that people forget. They, they, they tend to think about the, the market uh, buying gold and silver in coins and small bars. But you're talking about the wholesale market here, and you just raised something which is not been mentioned very many by many people that I know. It is the energy constraint. And for example, I think two, three weeks ago, Valcam, we went to Valcam B, and, and they said, no, we're not taking any more silver orders. Mm. Well, why would we? Well, we have this bandwidth of, uh, we're being metered on, on our energy usage. Um, so why would we, it would be more efficient for us to, to um, to refine gold but but even then that's constrained so we're now finding and, and andy I, I don't know if you're finding the same thing but we've been the last few days i've never seen anything like it in my life we i've never seen wholesale kilo bar premiums in dubai 13 to 15 dollars an ounce over to get any size at all, and you're lucky to get any size. This is mind-blowing stuff. Yeah, it is. The premiums are a reflection of supply and demand. And uh, as one of only 27 U.S. Mint authorized resellers in the world, for 30 years, we've been doing this for 33, the last two and a half years, everything has gone upside down since the pandemic. Everything. But let's say you called me, Andrew, on... Thanksgiving Day, which is the, the third Thursday in November here in the U.S., you called me on Thanksgiving Day and you said, hey, I'd like to buy uh, 10,000 Silver Eagles from you. What will you sell them to me for? I'd say, sure, Andrew, I'll sell them to you at uh, $3.19 over the price of silver. And you'd say, well, what will you buy them back for if I call you on Christmas Day? Well, Andrew, I'd pay you two sixty-five over. And that, those numbers were pretty much consistent my entire career, going all the way back to 1989. If you would have called me um, three months after in March and said, hey, you know, those, those coins I bought from you, uh, what are they worth now? I would have said, I'll pay you $11 over the price of silver. Right now at $16 over the price of silver, on Silver Eagles, we'd be the least expensive in, in the United States. But it's not just the American Eagle any longer. You have the Britannias that are selling at north of $7, the Maple Leafs at north of $8, all of the bars north of four. I mean, these are numbers that are three, four, five times greater than anything I've ever seen in my career. And what's really interesting uh, is Rick Rule, a buddy of mine here in the U.S. who's kind of the Pied Piper in this industry uh, on my side of the pond. And he talks about the allocation of metals ownership in the United States from the Harvard Endowment Fund all the way down to Joe Sixpack is less than one half of one percent. So it's the pimple on the elephant's ass, Andrew. What happens when the elephant turns around and says, my God, look what's happening. I need some gold and silver and like that. It's over. And I've been saying this for two years. I've been saying for two years that product is, is getting hard to get. 
that getting clients is easier than getting product. It never was that way. And this market will ultimately define itself by an inability to source product. I've been saying that because I see this event mathematically and economically and logically ultimately coming. And I get a lot of heat for it. Yeah, you're talking your book. You're talking your book. No, I'm not. I'm seeing what's coming. And if this is what it's like when there's not even only one, not even 1% of the public has assets in metals, what happens if it gets to 5%, a lowly 5%, which would represent a tenfold increase in demand in the United States? And um, much like the open interest on COMEX right now being 1,750% greater than the registered bars in the vault, that's what's going to happen. The word rehypothecation, the word where you think you're going to have access to gold, you're not, and, I, and silver. And I think it's only going to get worse as people wake up to what's coming. Wow. And I think I think the clues are all there. I mean, if people just want to look um, and, and obviously I think a lot of the problem that I find is that is that um, if we had to get rid of uh, all our U.S. clients. I think back in 2013, we were told we're going to shut you down. You're, you're going to close your accounts. You don't get rid of all your U.S. clients. And then all of a sudden, bang. Um, now, U.S. clients aren't allowed to trade foreign exchange gold, the over the counter market. So hang on a minute. This is this. Why? Why? Oh, because they've been siloed into the into the casino. I call the casino. Uh, and, and so now you've got the, the market making bullion banks who silo the U.S. trade, the, the hedge fund herd, as I call them, into uh, the, the COMEX have no capacity to actually even view what's going on. But yet the market makers have a footprint in both markets. And then I think it was rule 5.0 something. You probably even know it better than me. But whatever it was, I think about a year later, they kept talked about um, stop, uh, like halts in the market being implemented. Mm. It never seems to be on the way down. But halts in the market that were where you could actually freeze COMEX price for five minutes and the options market for three. And yet the same bullion bank traders, and I can, and, and non-US traders, can actually trade the, the, the spot markets at, at while it's frozen. I mean, this is, to me, to think that this is not a rigged setup is, is quite phenomenal to me. It is a rigged setup. When you see JP Morgan, the largest bullion bank in the world, not only um, pay $920 million fine to the Justice Department for rigging the market, when you see their head trader, Michael Nowak, uh, plead guilty to other uh, spoofing related charges and, and uh, texting with other commercial banks. And he was found guilty, hasn't been sentenced yet, I don't believe. But the fact is, they admitted to it. When you see Bart Chilton, God rest his soul, who on Chris Marcus's podcast admitted to all of this happening to where uh, he went into his superiors and say, JP Morgan is in violation of antitrust law. They need to be prosecuted, but was told it's a political decision back down and, and he passed away a week later. I'm not saying there's any relation to that. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But the point of it is with all of this stuff documented, they're still allowed to be the administrator of the world's largest silver trust, SLV. Yeah, I, it is a rigged market. There's no question about it. But Andrew, I would, I would, um, uh, submit that the only way you can successfully manipulate a market over time is to push it in the direction that it is going. And you and I are old dogs in this. We've been doing this for a very long time. And 
For a very long time, the U.S. was considered the bastion and island of safety. When times got tough globally, everyone rushed into dollars, and I would submit that this is a waning phenomenon. And when you have the Western markets and when you have gold and silver denominated in dollars and the dollar is losing its global appeal, so too is the ability of the, the, the cartel to suppress the price. And perhaps, perhaps when you think of the no-look pass in basketball or any misdirection in any sport or game you have ever played, understanding that the book The Art of War, which is all about misdirection, is taught in every major business school in the world on on corporate hierarchy and in law schools on formulating arguments and it's it's it, it's mandatory reading at West Point and it's CIA the world understands misdirection and when you see the price being suppressed yet the world's exchange is being bled dry when you see record premiums not just in the western markets but on the Shanghai gold exchange and and in Dubai and 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 other parts of the world it tells you that the smart money who's closest to the information spigot is using this misdirection, is using this suppression in price as a last-ditch effort to clear themselves, I think, to get metal and to uh, reposition themselves before it becomes obvious to the elephant who is still grazing out in the pasture when the little pimple on his butt is screaming, turn around, turn around. And we're getting there. I really do think we are. And you can see it by the bleed down of supply in an environment where every, everything in your mind should be, well, why would anyone want metal when it just does nothing but fall in the midst of 40-year high inflation and chaos globally? It's an archaic relic. It's exactly what they want us to think, and that's exactly why they're able to bleed dry all of these exchanges. And, and the, the dots are there to see. Um, one only has to look at the backwardations. Uh, in looking at the silver market in particular. I mean, it makes absolutely, it is so blatantly obvious that when the so-called deliverable physical market, we all know, as you've just outlined, the spot price that's fixed in London is a, is, is, is a ring-fenced little affair where the price is not what you can buy it for. You've just outlined you can't buy it for that price. It is nobody can buy it for that price, and it's not even available at that price. And and the refiners are not even producing it uh, because they they they, they um, there's such a restriction. So what amazes me is that people don't actually look the hedge fund herd, which is really the issue here, who who are chasing from pillar to post. They are led by the nose to chase from pillar to pillar to post, not even realizing the things that you've just talked about. If only you could, you could get a meeting with somebody in, that, that is big enough to, to, to actually trade and understand that, my God, hang on a minute, why are we racing from pillar to post here? Why are we, why are we digging a hole for ourselves here when we know, when if you look just beyond the casino wall, there's a whole real market. And as you've said, and I think this is interesting, you've just uh, suggested to it, the physical markets are becoming more liquid and the paper markets, i.e. the COMEX, is becoming illiquid. You're seeing this. That's a, that's a very interesting point and it's very true. And uh, the physical market is incredibly liquid. I mean, you know, I would love it if someone called and said, I have $10 million worth of silver bars to sell you. I'd pay them as fast as they could blink. And I think that's an environment where product is 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 literally disappearing as fast as anything i've ever seen and um 
It's concerning, Andrew. It, it really is. And I think it also, it also um, perhaps is, is a precursor to what's coming next. Why is there such a scramble to get all of this stuff in your possession? And, and I think a lot of it has to deal with the fact that there is a, a growing um, coalition of countries that are moving against the Western hegemony. And I think this is the most important thing in the world that, you know, when you take a look at the Belt Road Initiative with all 13 of the OPEC member countries on it, when you take a look at the BRICS nations who Saudi Arabia just came out while in a meeting in South Africa and said, we are going to join the BRICS South African president and the uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia both acknowledge this. When you, when you see these are the countries that produce all of the world's commodities, they, they produce them, they import them, um, they are money to them. Uh, when you see the fact that you have a Moscow exchange who realizes all of this or, or the talk of a Moscow exchange, which would appeal to all of these countries where they can set the price for gold at a realistic price, call it $3,000, set silver at $50, $75, $100, and bang, like that, all of the Western markets would arbitrage directly to the east to capitalize on that and you set a real price you will break the comex you will break the london metals exchange maybe this is becoming obvious but what i will say is that i do believe that the the western dominance is going to be challenged by the BRICS nations who have just come out and said we are going to issue a world reserve currency to challenge the dollar it will be pegged to currency or to currencies and commodities and then you have them say, and by the way, we're going to issue a new uh, exchange where metals can be traded freely to break the dominance and the manipulation of the Western system. You know, these countries don't bitch when the West hold the price down so they can accumulate as much as they possibly can on the cheap. But when the tables turn, I think the people in the West will understand in a matter of milliseconds what this really means. And you know, you light a fire to all of this by these idiot senators in the United States who have issued a bill to remove the Patriot missile batter, uh, uh, defense system from Saudi Arabia. Now, these are the politicians who don't understand that the dollar is the dollar because of our protection of OPEC, Saudi Arabia in particular, with all of the 13 countries on the Belt Road Initiative, with us pushing Saudi Arabia away, with us uh, sanctioning Russia and and the unintended or maybe they were intended consequences that are terrifying to countries like Saudi Arabia and China. We don't want all of our uh, assets sanctioned. We don't want to be frozen out of SWIFT. Why do you think Russia's or China has sold bonds for seven months in a row, over $120 billion? The handwriting is on the wall. These are the countries that are draining the exchanges and taking all the metal over to to, to the east, and I think we'll wake up one day and we're gonna see something that is gonna be a spiritual religious experience for many of the people who think wealth revolves around stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and I think people like yourself and, and uh, uh, others who are out there talking about this um, are gonna be owed a, a real large debt of gratitude and I, I, I won't be the one to say I told you so. I think you and I are out here on a limb trying to get people just to open their eyes a little bit and look past the narrative, look past what we've all been taught to do, and look past our borders. You can see a group and a storm brewing right now that is directly going to challenge the dollar and impact precious metals prices uh, maybe for the rest of our lives. Well, Andy, every single person you touch with your words 
is is waking up to this and i think i think this is why it's so important this is education is 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 power i mean and and the fact is i mean people or everybody i meet and it's not just in the gold and silver world but but everyone i meet they they they're really fed up with this whole sort of wokeness this whole uh, situation i better not get too into it they'll stop pulling the video but you know what i mean it's like but essentially they, they people just want to take responsibility for themselves and by by using by by buying gold and silver you are literally in physical form come to you what whatever just to get physical gold and silver and put it somewhere safe then basically what you're doing is taking responsibility for yourself you're not playing this this debasement game and and i think that brings me on to to a kind of a question which really would value your opinion on is that you know the see the dollar index i mean we did 20 year highs i mean and i get people talk to me all the time and say yeah but 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 hang on goals volatile no 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 you just go back to go back to 2002 and then then take a look at a chart and and you'll see that well in 2002 when the dollar was at these levels gold was like 300 bucks i mean i mean pound gold was like 200 and something pounds you know i mean no i'll give you a head of shake because then clearly uh, clearly it, it isn't volatile when you look at it in in those terms but um do you think the fed will actually intervene in because basically the dollar when it's strong i mean foreign banks have to use the dollar i mean 70 80 percent of the trade is done in dollars so so when you buy use dollars to buy stuff um then you have to hedge that short in your local currency so you're shorting the dollar now then they've got a dollar squeeze i mean what the hell this is causing chaos global chaos so do you think the fed will will step in and say hang on, we've got to start reining this in, or, or is it just not going to happen? Well, I don't know. You could look at it maybe as a way for them to kind of squeeze Russia. Uh, I don't know if they would be that naive to do that, because if oil is, is valued in dollars, until it's not, until OPEC says we're going to open it up to other currencies and then all hell breaks loose. But, you know, this dollar screaming higher... Um, with agricultural and, and energy prices denominating dollars, well, first of all, it's a massive, it's a colossal attack, attacks on emerging markets. But a lot of these countries won't buy as much oil because it becomes too expensive. And um, do I think that they'll step in to intervene? Yeah, I mean, I, you do think they will. You, ha you have to think they will. The bond market thinks they will. That's why you have an inversion of the yield curve. Um, because if you raise rates high enough, to, which attracts more interest in the dollar, um, you're going to blow up the, the economy. You're going to blow up the stock market, the bond market, and the real estate market. And what's very difficult, it shouldn't be difficult. It should be under, easy for people to understand. This is why the bond traders are saying that they're going to pivot. That's why you're seeing higher rates on a two-year than you are on a 10-year. It shouldn't be that way. They're saying that because you have three years worth of money printing that is greater than anything ever prior to the you know the entire history of the united states they printed more money in three years than they did in the entire history and that blew up asset values to all-time highs if you continue as the fed continues to raise rates um, not only does it put a colossal tax on the entire world it gets the united states that much closer to a collapse in 
stocks, bonds, and real estate, the three pillars of wealth in this country. And at some point, this becomes a big problem. It's either death by depression or death by hyperinflation. And I think the, the betting, um, uh, the smart money, the bond market, says they'll go uh, death by hyperinflation, that as soon as it gets too painful for the markets to handle, they will step in. They will start to ease lower rates, uh, try to, uh, to uh, lower the dollar's value. But um, I don't know when that breaking point is. And um, probably sooner than later, I think, you know, you could say um, they're talking about a 75 basis point increase in the next in the next uh, FOMC meeting. Well, if instead they only do 25 basis points instead of 75 basis points, as far as I'm concerned, that's a pivot. So I guess we'll have to see. The bond market, the smart money, they would say yes. And I, I don't know how far uh, uh, Paul, uh, a gentleman whose hero was Paul Volcker, uh, being Fed Chairman Powell, don't know how far he's going to take it to the mat. Yeah, and it was interesting just, um, and we, we, you know, sometimes we speak to some clients the other day and, and we we're talking about, hey, you know, the Bank of England two weeks ago, QE, right? I mean, there's no other word for it, QE. Turned on the QE fire hose, okay, albeit just for a moment. But when we go back to 2008, and, and you've raised 2008 several times, and, and, and I see so much of what you're seeing. In fact, we just, I just did a little episode about, and raised, it's interesting, because I was talking about 2008, and you talking about 2008, but it was the Bank of England that started the QE fire hose back then. And, you know, that was, and then we saw, what, 5,000 people coming out of Lehman's offices with boxes, you know. I mean, now that brings me to, um, and okay, this is not confirmed, this is not confirmed, but I'm just wondering if you've heard what we've heard, is that we have a contact at Credit Suisse and we've been asking them now for two weeks, you know, you're gonna shut your commodity desk down. I mean, but, but basically we've been asking them for two weeks. Is there a problem? Have you got a problem? And they're not denying there's a problem. And then I understand that the Fed is actually swapping dollars into into uh, switch. Do you know anything about that? Because I see this as a le potential Lehman moment because their derivative exposure is enormous. No, I know just what you know. I've read the same articles and, and not only, you know, when you talk about it's not just Credit Suisse and just like it just wasn't Lehman and, you know, you hear that they were staring into the abyss if they didn't bail out AIG. What, what they're basically saying is, or what they were saying back then in 08 is that everything is systemically tied together, incestuously tied together. And, you know, a bank like Credit Suisse, which has, you know, branches here in the United States, they're all tied together with derivative exposure. And um, no, it's, it's a frightening thing for sure. And, you know, when you look at, the, at, at, at 2008, they should have just let the forest fire clear the forest because you know, back then the Fed had a balance sheet of 800 billion, it's, it's now about 9 trillion. So over the past uh, 12 years when everyone thought hope springs eternal and all you need to do is put your money in equities, well they've been right, but they've been right because the Fed bought $9 trillion worth of interest rate sensitive assets, bonds and uh, mortgage-backed securities, which kept rates low, which created this illusion of prosperity, but which also was a gross uh, distortion of 
uh, and misallocation of resources and capital, which has created no price discovery. And so you see a moment like this where uh, a, a Credit Suisse moment, it, it's going to be big trouble. And maybe this is exactly why you're seeing so much money in the reverse repo market, like $2 trillion. The banks don't want any money on the street. They would rather give their money to the Fed with safety overnight than to borrow it out and leave it out on the street. So the banks are reining in credit. And this is going to be an issue because just as uh, massive credit expansion and, and um, uh, a deluge of, of money creation created prosperity, so too will a massive contraction of credit, which you're seeing, and, and the reining in of money, not giving it to anyone for everything anymore, ought to have the opposite effect. And so I think, you know, all of these things that mixed in with the big money pulling all the metal off the exchanges, you put it all together, you start to see that the big money sees trouble coming. They're going to limit exposure to the street. They're going to limit risk by giving the money to the Fed overnight instead of the public. They're going to pull all the metal they can off the exchanges quietly using price as the tool of misdirection. So I don't know. I've read the same things you have about Credit Suisse and, and certainly Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank and, and, and all of the, the, the banks in France. There, there's a whole bunch of, of banks that are on life support. And uh, all it will take will be one of them to light the fuse. I guess we'll have to see, Andrew. But these are the reasons that, that I think it's important that people understand that when I talk to people about using gold and silver as a vehicle to protect oneself, it's not an investment, it's wealth. It's wealth that's lived through two world wars and German hyperinflation and the Great Depression and every pandemic and is still immutable wealth. And while we are in a very scary boat of uncharted water surrounding us, I still think the safest place to be is the life raft that is a 5,000 year old gold and silver life raft and look at it as wealth. And if you own enough of it, you'll be wealthy. Might even allow you not just to survive, but to thrive in what is coming. But certainly I don't sell it and don't advise anyone buy it to get wealthy. Buy it to get the hell out of the way of what's coming down the pike. And it would be a Credit Suisse default uh, and, and setting off a chain of events systemically across the globe that could very quickly make people understand this is why they impose bail-in legislation in the United States. This is why they impose money market gating legislation in the United States. This is why the biggest money in the world has been suppressing metals and draining the exchanges. This is why we've seen record insider selling on strength in the equity markets. I mean, if you put it all together, in and of themselves, these little pieces don't amount to as much, but put them together. And I owe you and you alone, the biggest debt of gratitude because of your, your um, education on Basel III, on gold's reclassification, uh, and just how serious that really is because the biggest money in the world for the last several years has been quietly accumulating gold and doing it using price suppression as cover. If you understand that if price was that big of a deal, then why the hell is the biggest money in the world in the central banks, in the commercial banks, in the family offices, in the sovereign wealth funds, and the retail market, and the wholesale market? Where the hell is it all going? And if, if it wasn't really anything to see anymore because the price isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing in this chaotic world we live in, then where the hell is it all going? And who the hell is taking it all? 
And I owe you uh, a, a real debt of gratitude for opening my eyes. That one moment I view as the single biggest event of my career. Learning that the Bank of International Settlements looks at gold just a little bit differently than they did for the last hundred years. And I think it's really important that you get uh, credit for that and uh, have much respect for allowing me to see the world very differently since, uh, since 2019. Well, that, that's very kind of you to say. And I think you're, you, I think it is a pivotal moment and definitely was because uh, whereas I think what triggered um, the, the implementation or brought the implementation of Basel III forward was the EFV blow up in 2020 when they saw the two big to fail banks getting caught uh, in, in a bid only market. Um, and and uh, whereas the liquidity providers were sitting there with longs, suddenly the market turned around, but there's no physical, suddenly COVID hit, no physical, the refiners were shut down. Hey, deja vu almost in a way. But, and then suddenly everyone turned to the liquidity providers and said, okay, you've got some over the counter longs, give it to me all at once. And they just had to race to cover those shorts on the COMEX and what we had at $80, $90 spreads until there was a massive scramble to bail these guys out. And of course, the only people who got bailed out were the Goldmans, the JP Morgans, the big guys all got bailed out. But we were dealing with second tier banks in Europe. Um, you know, the, 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 you know all the names, um, the, the, all the second tier providers, most of them just bailed, said, we're never, we're out of this business. And they even got out of the uh, you know, they even got out of the profitable side of that business, which is just simply buying it for clients. And it was just amazing to me um, what a, what happened there was is still unappreciated as to what's going on inside this siloed world. And and so leading to the question, basically, um, there's a little mechanism which you know, I know. Uh, and and uh, that it could be utilized called the EFP, the Exchange for Physical Program, where you've simply got the ability for, as a market maker or as a very large client, to actually take a COMEX position, move it into the over-the-counter markets, which are, by the way, Basel III compliant, which they weren't. And all of a sudden, and no wonder the, the, no wonder the, the BIS started covering off their swaps and their shorts, um, so really, you've got this mechanism. So we're seeing those, these outflows. And if you can't buy physical, why wouldn't you, Andy? Why wouldn't you, as a size buyer, turn to the COMEX and say, excuse me, I'll take that. Thank you very much. So are you seeing it? We're seeing it, but where's it going? Where's this bullion going? But that's the point. And you're not seeing an increase in the eligible category. So. If you, if you would think if it's taken off the registered category, which are the bars for delivery, then you would see a corresponding increase in the eligible, which means it's held with warrants and strong hands. No, it's not. I think it's going eastward. When you realize that 38 million ounces uh, went to India in the month of August, where do you think it came from? And so a lot of it is being pulled off the exchanges by, the, by smart money, by the, by the central banks, by the commercial banks. And when you look at at a silver market that is rehypothecated by 1,750%, you don't have to look any further than the crypto exchanges who just blew up because of rehypothecation. Rehypothecation never ends well, and it won't end well here. This is what the Hunt brothers noticed in 1980. 
This is what the entire big money is realizing right now. This is why they're pulling it off while they can. To your point, uh, give it to me until you can't get it anymore. When we only have 38 million ounces backing the entire price setting mechanism of the of the world, it's happening. And this is the point. They are quietly exiting stage left until the the spigot is turned off and they say no more outflows. Well, at that point, it, it, the, the market is exposed for exactly what it is, a fraud. So I think you're seeing the biggest money in the world front run that type of, an, uh, of, a, of a moment, which much like the cryptocurrency uh, companies that went belly up because they were rehypothecated, you could very easily see that. Now, I don't think the COMEX will blow up because the banks will protect themselves just like they did by changing the rules against the Hunt brothers. But I think what you will see may be something similar to what you saw on the LME with the nickel market failure, which I think delegitimized the LME to a great extent. And, and maybe this is why you're seeing the commercial banks pare down their short positions after that spiritual or religious moment, rather. And maybe this is why you're seeing so much drawdown ever since, ever since that March event you're going to see the markets in the West, I think, be delegitimized as the benchmarks or the platforms for setting uh, the commodity prices when the rest of the world, which comprises 80 plus percent of human population, are the countries that are massively accumulating it. You look at a bank like a country like Turkey, who has expressed its interest in joining the BRICS nations, ironically. They bought more gold the first half of this year than any country on the planet. So all of these countries that are moving away from the Western system, that are joining the BRICS nations, that are on the Belt Road Initiative, a new currency that's going to be pegged to commodities, do you think there's any coincidence that they're buying the only other tier one reserve asset? Do you think there's any coincidence that they're very quietly accumulating gold and pulling it off of the exchanges and silver, 38 million ounces to India last month or the month of August? Is there any coincidence that this is all happening now and i think the answer is no and this is why people who are bummed out about price need to take a step back and realize this is one big big game this is a a global shift the the west has controlled the game for centuries and i think the rest of the world in and of themselves even 10 years ago couldn't stand up to the west but now they're all joining together and i think they all have economies put together that dwarf the West. They have military presence that put together, they dwarf the West. And they're building relationships based upon um, mutual trust and cooperation. They're building a relationships against the Western hegemony. That gets them to the table, right? But what is the glue that is gonna solidify is the commodities that are, they're all massively accumulating that are, is going to peg a new system. And I would submit, there is no coincidence that the Chinese digital yuan, which has already done over 20 billion in successful trades, many of which are supporting the Belt Road Initiative, they started doing this in the Shanghai Winter Olympics. There's no coincidence that I think that China is front and center in, in saying we're going to issue a new world reserve currency on behalf of the BRICS. What better way to roll out distributed ledger technology to the world by, by now having all of these countries that are part of this new group pegging commodities to a distributed ledger technology. It, it, it won't be open source, it'll be permission-based, but you will be able to see, and it won't be convertible, 
because de Gaulle from France proved that convertible currencies convert, but it will be pegged. And they will say, the distributed ledger technology shows the immutability and the veracity of all of the commodities. Saudi Arabia just pegged oil. China pegged gold. Russia pegged uh, fertilizer. I mean, whatever you want to say, whatever these countries are going to peg to the, con to the, to the currency, it'll be shown with veracity and immutability on a distributed ledger, and it will very, very, very quickly disrupt things globally uh, to, as Zoltan Pozar calls it, a new Bretton Woods three, a, a, a system dominated by currencies, or excuse me, by commodities rather than by debt instruments. So I think we're seeing these moves are not coincidental. What they are is a lot of the big players who know the script uh, are, are, are clued into what's coming and they are using price suppression to position themselves and to pull all of the metal off the exchanges and to get out of dollars and dollar-based investments. It's coming, Andrew, and I, I think that the, the price is the greatest tool of misdirection. You have to lift up the hood. The car may look brand new, but the engine has two squirrels on a, on a, uh, on a wheel and rubber band tur you know, turning the axle. So I, I think it's, it's important to um, take a step back and not look at things from a micro perspective. That's my message to the people. And, and again, uh, I don't miss anything you ever put out because what you are, what you are, are, are saying um, from a wholesale level um, globally is, is very vital to, to the, the way I see the world. And so uh, keep doing what you're doing because um, without your information, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have the message that I have. And I think you put everything together, looking at all these pieces, they, they don't make the story until you put them all together. And much of what I've been talking about, I, I owe to the information that you're bringing out to the public. So for what it's worth, from this side of the pond, you have a big admirer and, and uh, you're integral to, to, to my thought process. Well, I, I'm, I'm gonna encourage everybody to listen to, to, re, to play, replay what you've just talked about, that you've just summed up really it so beautifully. This is where we're going. People need to preserve their wealth. People need to position them to see what's going on outside of this herd of, 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 of fools racing inside this casino who have no visibility, who are the tool uh, to, to, to suppress price. But but outside, you've just talked about what's really happening. And thank goodness, you know, you talked about bail-ins, you've touched on bail-ins, you've touched on all these things. You, people have to listen to what you've just said. And I, I'm so pleased that you came on today. And, and I would just love to keep talking to you. And, but, you know, when we start to go over... You'd never need to twist my arm, Andrew. I, 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 like I said, you, you're someone I've looked up to for a long time. So if you ever want to have another conversation again, please, I don't need much more than 30 minutes notice. I'll drop what I'm doing and I'll come on. That's a, that's a, that's a date. And, and thank you so much. Andy, thank you so much for sharing your valuable time with us. And uh, really, have, you have my total respect. Much, uh, much the same, Andrew. I hope our paths cross again soon. And if you ever get uh, stateside, make it to Florida. I got a steak dinner with your name on it. And uh, next time I'm in the UK, you can rest assured you're going to know about it. Oh, you've got likewise. And, and I think we're going to put up a link uh, to you, uh, Andy. Uh, obviously, I do recommend uh, that um, all, what I can say is I know Eric Sprott, and I've always said, trust him. 
I know Andy Sheckman, trust him. These are people that I know uh, are, are straight shooters and anything they do is correct. So uh, I would definitely encourage people to get in touch with you. Thank you so much, Andrew. Until next time, I'll certainly look forward to picking up where we left off. But uh, I hope you and yours and everyone out there stays well. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andrew McGuire and Andy Sheckman for, you know, the two Andys and a fascinating discussion here in the precious metal space. And remember, buy physical and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino, paper, gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled. And there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another episode of Live from the Vault. Please help. Keep spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button, sharing this information, and subscribing. And if you click on that bell notification, you'll be notified as each episode goes live. And with that, we'll see you next time right here on Live from the Vault. See you then.